Jimmy Books with Aaron and Polly and their amazing friends. I'm Aaron. I'm Polly. This is Wayne. And this is Tim. One of the things that I really can't stand in this life is when you get on the elevator and some chump is talking on his cell phone. Does that irritate you guys? I've been that guy. I'm usually on a conference call for work, though, when I do it. Well, it irritates the tar out of me, and I, I think it's rude, and I have decided that from here on out, when it happens in the future, I'm just going to fart up the elevator. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm usually doing that while I'm on the phone. So. <laughs> that, is, that, is, that is my now, my new go-to. You're talking on your cell phone in the elevator. I am farting that mother up. No, my pet peeve are the people that are in the grocery line talking on the cell phone, not you know paying their bill and not getting out of my way. That's my pet peeve. Elevator, I don't care about because they're not. Uh, they're just people are annoying. They're just not in the way. But grocery store, that bugs me. As a former cashier, it used to bother me a lot when they wouldn't at least tell the person to hold on a sec while I took care of whatever they were buying for them. You know, that bugs me. Well, I just I don't like being trapped in the elevator with their conversation, and so I figure if they're going to trap me with their conversation, I'm going to trap them with the smell of my ass. <laughs> that seems like the classy way to handle that situation. <laughs> it, it, it does, doesn't it? <laughs> hey, did any of you guys see the new DC Universe Online uh, trailer that came out at the uh, Comic Con? I did no, not. I haven't watched that one yet. Yeah, it's called Who Do You Trust, and it's not actual gameplay, but it was it was pretty hot. I gotta tell you, I'm excited about it because it sounds like this is gonna be a PS3 MMO, uh-huh. which uh, gets me a little excited. Wasn't Who Do You Trust the Scroll of Secret Invasion tagline? Yeah, well, wasn't the Dead Will Rise the Blackest Night thing before it was Necrotius? Okay, all right. <laughs> We're just batting that ball between the companies, huh? Yeah, basically. <laughs> hey, if they it works. the same slogan guy. <laughs> yeah. I also had my first funny books dream. Uh-oh. Well, it was only a partial funny books dream. I. What, uh, what was Wayne wearing? No, the only person in it was Jonathan, which is kind of kind of creepy. But it was, <laughs> <laughs> it was some kind of banquet dinner, and the bank there was two rooms in the banquet dinner, and the one guy that they it was kind of like a banquet dinner telethon. So one of the dudes looked like Paul Rubens if he had like longer curly hair, and I was in the room. Well, that guy was entertaining, and he's like, "Who wants a kiss?" And then the sixty-year-old like grandma wearing a poncho was jumping up and down, so he kissed her. And I get in the other room, and there's Jonathan Landreth and some blonde chick, and he's like, I wonder what it's true if they say about uh, geriatric head. And he just huh. kept going on and on, ripping on Paul Rubens, and it was it was fantastic. And I was I was at the point where I knew it was a dream, but I still had no control. So it was like I got a free episode of Kicked in the Dice Bags. It was kind of awesome. That's what I was going to say. That's not a funny book stream. That's a Kicked in the Dice Bags stream. Well, hey, it's the first time one of you guys has shown up in my dream, so it's all good. Well, I'll be there tonight. <laughs> I can honestly say none elevator. of you have ever been in any of my dreams, and I don't expect you to ever be. I'll be there tonight, Wayne. I'm coming. <laughs> Stay out of my dreams. I'll be there tonight, Paul. <laughs> I won't sleep. I'll tell you. I'll tell you what, though. I, there's one thing we have in common this week. We might not be in you know, everybody's dreams, but looks like we're picking up each other's mail because we all read Artifacts Number One. That is true. And it's the uh, first ever crossover event book for Top Cow, isn't it? Well, no, they've done crossovers. Yeah, this is their biggest crossover, but they did a 
Firstborn and Broken, Broken Trinity, Trinity. Um, for the last couple of years. And then they had last year Cyber Force uh, Hunter Killer. So basically you're entirely wrong. But Thank you. this is their <laughs> biggest event at uh, 13 issues. And uh, issue one came out this week. So I'm, I'm very curious. You know, I'm a longtime Top Cow reader. I knew all the characters in the book. Um, some pretty large events happen in this book um, for longtime readers. But I'm curious how it sat with people who aren't familiar with the universe like you, you Aaron, know, or Tim. I was wondering the same thing because my mind was blown at the death in this book. Yeah, me too. My familiarity with Witchblade, which is the character this issue primarily focuses on, is that uh, $5 Witchblade trade, Witch Hunt. And so there are aspects of the supporting cast that I'm not familiar with. So how long has her – how long has the child been, been in the series? We mentioned the crossover Firstborn. That was actually what happened there was first, Firstborn crossover was, I think, two years ago. Uh-huh. That's uh, where the baby was born. I see. Well, you know, uh, I don't want to spoil anything because uh, it's kind of a big darn deal. But but what happens in the books felt like it was a pretty big deal, um, even though I didn't know who the characters were. Well, I guess we might as well spoil it because the book's been out. You know, by the time this episode's released, you know, book's been out for five days. Okay. So I mean, can't hurt, and we can't really talk about it without spoiling because not only is the character death kind of a spoiler, but so is the appearance of a, a long time dead character. Right. Who, so, I mean, and you can't really talk about the book without talking those, about those two things. Is that her sister who died? Yes. Okay. I was going to say, in the Witch Hunt storyline, um, I'm assuming uh, it, she visits her sister in jail. I don't remember if that occurred during the Witch Hunt storyline. I don't believe it did. Okay. Uh, yeah, her sister was in jail, I think, for selling drugs or taking drugs or something like that. And um, so she re- was recently released – uh, I don't know, I guess around six months ago, eight months ago, something like that. And so she's been living with Sarah. Um, so, you know, and, but they, you know, they, so they've been kind of building her character. And, uh, you know, obviously it kind of came to a head here with her untimely. With her head shot. being blown off, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, Aphrodite 4, who is the one that, that shot the Witchblade sister, Sarah's sister. She was the woman in the preview? Yes. The Artifact Zero? And and the reason why I ask is because she had face makeup on in the in Artifacts One. You know, I actually didn't recognize it was her until they until she said her name because of the makeup. Yeah. And that was my thing too. I I didn't make the connection until, you know, the end of the book. But you know, I liked the book. I thought it, I thought it was entertaining reading. You know, uh clearly what is the character's name? Tom Judge. Yes. Um uh, clearly he's a big deal. Um, but I don't know why. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, and he's a big deal just to kind of give a little background and, and I guess more will come, at, you know, as the series progresses. So, you know, from a, from a classic reader perspective, it's exciting to see these characters again or see them dying from a new reader's perspective. <laughs> I'm assuming the holes will be filled in, you know, to get you excited about the characters. Um, but yeah, Tom Judge is a pretty big deal in the Top Cow universe. You know, he's just one of the he's one of the bearers of the artifacts. Um, that's what that kind of strange cross is around his neck, and um, he's dead. Uh, he, he's actually been in hell for for quite a while, and so that's kind of the, the launching point for the story. Well, why has he been in hell if he's carrying a cross? Kind of one of the Top Cow universe things. Uh huh. It's one of those things where apparently. At least, at least it used to be um, that everyone went to hell before they went to heaven. Huh. 
And so, you know, Tom Judge, you know, he he was kind of destined to go to hell anyway. And in fact, that was one of his traits. The the thing that the thing around his neck, the rapture, um, its power is to give hope to people even in hell. You know, so in hell, that's what he was doing. He was giving people hope. I see. For no reason, for reasons that nobody probably understands, I'm starting to think that I'm like the the voice that's different than everybody's. I, I love the story, but I thought the art was a step down. If it isn't, it wasn't bad. It just wasn't the crisp art that I like that I saw in the Witchblade trade. And so, you know, to me, it was a good story. It is definitely worth reading and worth getting, but it's not the top cow, crisp, clean, beautiful art that I'm used to. It was more like, you know, a, a solid B work to me. And I think for a major crossover, I think they should have maybe rearranged their artist pool. Mm-hmm. I, I guess that's just my opinion. But I, I, as I was looking at it, I'm like, I like this story. But, man, I like it better when it was when the art was crisper. Does that make yeah, sense? I mean, I get it. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense. I mean, and, you know, he's uh, the artist for this book is Michael Broussard. And he does do a very different style than especially Witchblade or Magdalena or any other Top Cow books that we've talked about on the show. I don't know why, but it feels like an older style to me when I'm looking at it. Like all of the other Top Cow books have a they do have this new distinct style that looks I guess new is a good way to put it. New state of the art updated. And this has a little bit of an older feel. This looks like art I could see in like the late 90s or something. I, I uh, rather liked it. It reminded me a lot of Linneal Yu's artwork. I, I thought it had a nice you know, sort of atmosphere to it. I'm, I'm, I dug it. Yeah, I liked it as well. But I see what Tim's saying about it being different than what he's used to from Top Cow books. Because it is a different feel to art than a typical Witchblade or a Magdalena. It's more honestly like... Um, like Wayne said, almost something from a late '90s book. It, it almost reminds me, you know. Aaron said Laniel Yu. I was thinking Mark Silvestri. I, I saw a lot of Mark Silvestri influence in there. You know, him him being one of the founders of Top Cow. That's kind of how I made that connection. What artist does it remind you of, Tib? <laughs> uh, it doesn't remind me of G- Diogenes Neves. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Look at that. Impressive. But uh, I enjoyed it. I, I thought it was a really good book. Uh, I, I, you know, I mean, I, I posted my review on the, the site this week, um, just a, a preview. But, you know, I wanted to kind of, you know, talk about it on the show with everyone. I, I'm really – I dug it. Um, but, I, again, I'm more a longtime Top Cow reader. So some of the yeah. events in the book really had more of a, a resonate, resonating effect with me. Well, you know, you know, I almost started tweeting you when I finished reading it, Paul, because – when I saw the death, my mind was just blown. I'm like, I don't know if he's read it yet. I can't send it to him yet. <laughs> yeah, the character death is huge if you've been reading Witchblade. Um, if you haven't been reading Witchblade, you know it's an important thing. You uh, you know obviously it's going to mess up Sarah. Yeah. But you know it doesn't quite affect you as it would someone who you know has been reading the books for a while. Well, and you know, as somebody who is not as familiar with the Top Cow universe as you guys, reading this issue. You can sense the importance of it, even though you might not have the full weight uh, of what it was. So I, I thought it was very effective, and I felt like I had all the most. Yeah, I felt like I had all the information I needed to understand the story between what was in the, those pages as well as the uh, supplemental pages at the back of the book. You know, and besides messing up Sarah, 
I'm wondering how this kid is going to turn out. The kid's been kidnapped a couple times now, but the kid just got kidnapped by a killer robot who killed his aunt or her aunt that she loves right in front of her. And she had to sit there in her aunt's blood holding a balloon, watching her guardians be slaughtered in front of her as well. This kid's going to have some issues. I, I think there's well, going to be some counseling needed. Which you know, is, I don't think so. Uh, I think the only thing this kid's going to remember is that she finally got her damn balloon. Balloon! <laughs> balloon! I just think this is going to keep happening to her throughout her life. She's going to be a severely messed up kid. I mean, with the parents she's got, that's kind of a given. But still, messed up kid. Well, you know who else would like a balloon? Larflees. And Larflees is in this this week's issue of Green Lantern, issue number 56. Indeed. Um, you know, obviously <laughs> continuing <laughs> the uh, the brightest day saga that's going on in the DC universe. Um, you know, this week's brightest or Green Lantern focused, like you mentioned, primarily on Larflees um, with uh, an appearance by Hector Hammond, who is like my least favorite Green Lantern villain ever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mine too. I don't care for Hector Hammond at all. You know, I and, almost picked up the book, but I flipped through it and saw that he was a villain, and it's like, this isn't a good time for me to come back to Green Lantern. <laughs> well, you know, and not only that, he's supposed to be one of the villains in the Green Lantern movie that's coming out next year. I'm really? Like, why? I just don't get the fascination with, with this character. No, me neither. Um, you know, he, he, in fact, if anything, he's written almost like an old Superman or Superboy prime, you know, he's, he's just jealous and whiny and, you know, he's written, he seems to be written the same way, almost like, like I said, prime. But, um, other than that, you know, the Larflees appearance in the book. Oh, the Larflees piece was hysterical. It really was where he's writing a letter to Santa Claus. Yeah. And, you know, uh, Hal's like, you know, I hate to break it to you, uh, but uh, Santa Claus isn't real. Bah! You think I'm that inept? There's a mountain of evidence to argue otherwise right underneath us. Next, you'll tell me the color green doesn't exist. When I finally meet this well-fed reindeer wrangler, I'll have everything I want. He'll be better than any guardian. I just I thought that was hysterical. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I thought it was, you know, the Larfley stuff I thought was great. It's, you know, yeah. so it's kind of a mixed bag. Um, I enjoyed the issue because most of it is that Larflees yeah. scene. Um, but, you know, the Hector Hammond stuff, I, I just don't know. I just don't like that character. I mean, I don't like uh, Hector Hammond one little bit. But everything else in here I rather enjoyed. You know, the, yeah. the, the Larflees stuff, you know, the, the cutaway with the Hope Lantern. You know, then you've got what happens at the end of the book with, you know, Hector Hammond merging with uh, the Larflees' Orange Lantern entity. You know, I just bleh. Yeah, not interested in that. Yeah. So if we could just, you know, spend more time with Larflees and really less time with Hal. <laughs> <laughs> we were talking before the show that I really wanted to say how much I enjoy Green Lantern 56. And you said you had some words about Green Lantern Corps number 50. Yeah. You know, uh, this continues the story that we talked about last month where uh, the cyborg or the cyborg Superman, uh, also known as Hank Henshaw, um, is turning folks into alpha lanterns, cutting out their hearts and whatnot. And it, this issue spends a lot of time talking about why Hank Henshaw is doing that. And it talks a little bit about you know his experience during Blackest Night, etc. I really thought this book was great. Now, again, Artie and Syaf does a terrific job with the art in this book. It is just stunning to look at. Um, I love the way they're drawn uh, the cyborg now. 
uh, he, he's a little darker. He uh, a little rougher, a little crazier looking. Mm-hmm. Absolutely dig that. And uh, this book was just a joy to read. I, I just like where it's going. And, and you know, it's it, the storyline hasn't wrapped up yet. I think it's got at least one more issue to it um, where the robots are going to fight the cyborg. Right, it was a lot of fun. I enjoyed this book. Yeah, I did, too. You know, I um, now did you read the preview for Emerald Warriors at the end? I did. Um, and, you know, the, the preview told me something that I didn't realize. I didn't realize that that was going to be an ongoing. Oh, yeah, I guess it is. Yeah, yeah, because it says monthly. But, uh, you know, so it's you know pre- previewing Emerald Warriors. Um, <laughs> looking at the preview cover art right there, I was like, ooh, I don't know if I'm on board with the artist. But fortunately, the interior art is not done by the cover artist. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and the, the interior art was really very pretty, and uh, uh, I'm on board. That looks cool. Yeah, I'll give it. A, I'll, I will give it the first issue, and it's written by Pete Tomasi, who was right. the, the writer of Green Lantern Corps before Tony Bedard. So um, you know, I, I will definitely give it a shot. Yeah, the, Guy the Gardner. I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, I was just going to say what I think you were going to say is that Guy Gardner is, is the centerpiece of the story, and it looks like it's going to be setting up some of the stuff they layered at the end of Blackest Night and the beginning of Brightest Day, where we're expecting a rift to occur between uh, Guy Gardner and Hal Jordan. Yeah, so uh, you know, I, I I think it'll probably be important to the Green Lantern storyline. Yeah, um, you know, and I think it'll be well written, so I'll give it a shot definitely. I was a little amused by the depiction of, uh, uh, well, yeah, the, the depiction of Oa, you know, on that page because every other thing we've seen of Oa over the last several uh, weeks has been just wanton destruction. And look at how big and pretty that city is right there. Yeah, because this is due out in August, right? Yeah. So, uh, man, they rebuilt it pretty quickly, I guess. Pretty quick. So, anyway, I have big thumbs up for both of uh, the Green Lantern books this week. Um, I did find that Green Lantern Corps number 50 was a more enjoyable read because there weren't pieces of the book that I wish that I wasn't reading. Whereas in uh, Green Lantern 56, I did wish that I wasn't reading any of the Hector Hammond stuff. That's my comparison and contrasting for you today, Paul. Look at that. Huh. That's awesome. well you guys are still reading justice league generation lost and it just Um, keeps getting better and better really yeah yeah you know when i read this i was thinking i should be hating this (laughs) this issue was a a step outside of the Mm storyline it was an issue that gives you the motivation of captain adam to continue you know hunting down max but overall probably not going to affect the story at all it was focused on a character that I'm not a big fan of, and that's Captain Adam. Everything about this screams I should be hating it, and it's one of my favorite issues of the series so far. It was really good. It was a, a nice reveal. You know, you think you're in a past storyline, and then the big switcheroo is, oh, no, you're in the year 2351. And, you know, what has happened to the Earth? Well, Maxwell Lord has happened to the Earth. This is The, the story takes place prior to issue five, and it's the period where uh, uh, Captain Adam had absorbed a, a big uh, nuclear explosion. And when he absorbs these nuclear explosions, they when he releases the energy, it zaps him out of sync in time. And if you recall his origin story, you know Captain Adam gets on the, 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 the test plane or whatever in 1968 and the big explosion. And the next thing you know, he's you know in modern times where he's been kind of shunted forward in time. So he still has this kind of little time-shifting problem that occurs to him. So he thought he was in the past. Turns out he's in the future, and something big and terrible has happened. And damn it, it's Maxwell Lord. We got to get him. 
Yep, he done blown up the moon. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, there's this great page where you have this little cabin sitting there, and then you have the moon with half of it blown up. I half expected to see the uh, the beginning of the name Chairface on there from Tick. <laughs> but I love the conversation he has when he uh, when he finds Power Girl. Yes, and she's talking about how uh, Superman just kept fighting and fighting and fighting until he started breaking the world, yeah. and then he had he decided he had to stop because he was hurting more people than he was going to help. That was, you know, it leaves you wondering just what exactly were they fighting against? How did the world get like this? But I don't think that's going to matter for the storyline. Well, you know, since we've we've got another what twenty issues in this uh, in this series, I'm kind of hoping we get to see some of that, you know, big war with the superheroes. You know, that alternate that alternate timeline where you know Superman breaks the Earth. It'd be nice to get a glimpse of that before it's all said and done. This is three in a row for uh, Justice League Generation Lost that are recommended reading. Yeah, and I really should have hated it, and it was my favorite book of the series so far. And it was the very last. It was the very last book I read this week, so I was just like, you know, it can't be good. (laughs) 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 The last two were good. I'm I'm set up for the next two to suck, but no, it was really good. Now, also in the brightest day releases this week was Green Arrow number two, uh, guest starring Green Lantern. Um, You know, we we all seem to enjoy the first issue. All of us who read it, anyway. Um, and so this week, I, I, I thought it was, I thought it was a decent book. The, the one part about it that I didn't like was I didn't like the reveal about who owns Queen Industries right away. You know, they were setting it up for this mysterious Russian buyer to own Queen Industries. And then in this issue, it, it's, you know, spoiler alert, it's revealed that it, it seems like this is Oliver's mother. And so I thought that was a little early on in the series to, to, to reveal that. You could have had a couple more issues of not knowing who that was, and I think that would have been a little bit better. But, I mean, all the stuff with Ollie and Hal, I, I liked. You know, yeah. I liked Ollie trying to, you know, lead away the bad guys because he knew even though Hal was, you know, powerless, he was going to try to still be a hero. So I, I dug it. What, what did you think, Aaron? I dug it as well. Um, I, I, it amuses me that Ollie has had all this time to set up all his, his little traps in the forest. You know, that, so, so that kind of tickles me, and he's all very Gilligan's Island up in there. And, and I liked his, his treehouse that we got to see. So, you know, I, I, I'm digging the, I'm digging the, the concept. Um, one thing I'm not real clear on, who's the guy filling up his, uh, his uh, canteen at the beginning of the story? I don't. Think I don't we think know. we're supposed to know. Yeah. Yeah. Do we? Do we think he's going to be like one of the merry men or something? He fits the uh, silhouette yeah. of one of them, of the bigger guy. I can't. I, yeah. I, I, I had to go back and reread because I'm like, did I, did I skim and you know miss something? Because you know I kept expecting to see something about him, but yeah, he just appears to be this fellow wandering through the forest. Nice wearing, chap. Wearing chainmail. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I'm assuming we'll find out. No, no, that's all you'll ever see of him. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> no, uh, I, I dug it. I, you know, it, it's certainly setting up something bigger, and of course, you know, interesting way to 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 end the book. Two issues in, shooting Ollie in the head with an arrow. Yeah, you know, that was a that, hell of a cliffhanger. And that mother's in, so I'm kind of curious about that. Yeah, yeah I think it's going to tie very much to the White Lantern tree. Yeah, it's the only yeah. thing that makes sense. Now, I will want. I do want to say that. As much as I'm on board with the story, I did not necessarily care too much for the artwork in this book. And what didn't you like about it? It seemed a little amateurish, to be honest with you. It seemed like something I would expect from – it doesn't seem like 
the the polished kind of art I would expect from you know one of DC's biggest you know books right now. Mm-hmm. It, it it seemed a little more like something I would expect, and I'm not trying to be insulting or anything, but like from an Avatar or a Chaos Comics when they existed, it just seemed a little rough, a little amateurish. And you know, I I, I see what you're saying. I'm not sure I'm blaming that on the penciler though. I I think it's the coloring. You well, know, that's the, possible. The, I mean, you know, take a look at these pages. There's not a whole lot going on on the color palette. You know, there's nothing very dynamic here. Well, particularly, you know, compare it to, uh, you know, the Green Lantern books that have, you know, such character uh, in their color palette. In fact, in particular, char- uh, compare it to Green Lantern 56 because, you know, you've got similar pages where Hal is in a forest. And look at how those pages pop and th- these don't. You know, you could be right there. You could be, because um, I mean, I, I couldn't, fi- you know, put my finger on. It's not like it was awkward poses. I mean, the action moves along well. The storytelling's yeah. well enough. It just, it just didn't seem like, you know, yeah. a big DC book to me. Well, and to me, it seems like the the artist Diogenes Nevis uh, has a good handle on anatomy. He's got a good handle on the technology. Um, does really well with, you know. Uh, communicating what's going on in the action scenes. I really think it's the muddy palette of the colorist. I, you know, and if you look at it, most of the action's happening in a forest, so and all you're seeing is browns and the greens of the characters. Yeah. So that might be what's playing tricks with your eyes. Maybe uh, it's the inkist. Well, you know, the colorist is part of the creative team. I've been. God, <laughs> that they are. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. We we have to we have to stop for a second. <laughs> Did you really just say Inkist? <laughs> yeah, I, believe, I did. I believe they're called Inkologists. <laughs> but uh, the cover was pretty sweet. I love the covers on these books. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, I, 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 Paul, I, I see what you're saying. I, it would be interesting to be able to render it in black and white and, and, and you know, see if you felt the same way. I, uh, I think it's the coloring. I think you'd be a lot happier if if you had a better a better uh, color job on this book. But I mean, regardless of my my feel uh, of the art, um, I, I I enjoyed the book. the The storyline is is really interesting, and I'm definitely on board. You know, especially with a, a cliffhanger like that, and you know, I'm definitely on board for for the next issue. The Flash number four that came out this week, and you know, we love this book every time it comes out, and I'm very curious to hear if it still tickles your fancy, Aaron. Oh, my fancy, my fancy, it is tickled. It is tickled. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I dug it. Uh, the uh, I liked the, the reason why they're hunting Barry was revealed in this issue. We had known that the future rogues, which are a law enforcement body from the future, they uh, were tracking down Barry because he had killed mirror monarch and that just doesn't sound like the berry we know and so it's revealed in the book that the reason why barry had killed him is that he thought he was killing mirror master not mirror monarch you can understand the confusion oh my bad (laughs) don't (laughs) but uh and of course you know the reason why he was doing this was because um if you'll recall from the earlier books leading up to Brightest Day and leading up to Flash, you know, uh, the rogues had that big mirror that said, in case Flash returns, break glass. 
And this, of course, starts you know the, the big big trouble in Central City with uh, the Mirror Master. You know, it's a gateway to the nexus of the Mirror Worlds designed by the first Mirror Master. And I'm quoting from from the book here: When the rogues shatter it, the Mirror Lords will be unleashed, and one of them will take possession of Iris, which is Barry's wife, changing her into one of the, your greatest rogues, the Mirror Mistress. The only way to free her before her mind is lost forever is to close the gateway between Earth and the Mirrorlands, and the only way to do that is for the person who opened it to die. Mirror Master opened it. Barry kills Mirror Monarch by accident, so Iris, you know, in the future becomes his uh, his biggest nemesis. Yeah, I thought that was an interesting uh, twist, and I, I like the way it was presented to him. You know, it, it's not what I saw happening. I I enjoyed the hell out of this book, and I, I always enjoy the hell out of this book. So it's really not saying much. You know, the art just gets better and better with every issue. Manupol does something that is so hard for other artists to do. He makes a guy running fast interesting to look at. There are other artists who have not done this successfully, and in recent memory, that's Ethan Van Skyver. Uh, but Francis Manupol rocks this pretty hard. The scene with the helicopter. There's a scene in the Flash number four where the Flash, a helicopter is going to crash. Mm-hmm. And the Flash basically runs along its propeller blades and saves everyone from the helicopter within the span of like a second. I mean, it, it's in, in they uh, they show this guy yelling and you know starting to yell, mm-hmm. and Flash saves him before he's done. I mean, it's so fast. And the way that scene is presented, how you see Flash just moving so fast and everything around him kind of goes monochrome. Mm-hmm. I, I just thought that was so well done. Yeah. And you can see that once he moves at a normal speed, everything kind of the color comes back to everything. Yeah. So I, I I would like the you know I like the experiments he's taking with portraying speed in the books. I, I think it's fantastic. Yeah, and I'm kind of curious on the on the art direction on the book. You know whose idea uh, that change was on, on the you know when we're having super speed time. You know, we we make it more monochrome when we're back to normal speeds. You know, it's it's you know bright and full colored. I'm wondering, you know, how that decision came along. You know, who contributed that? Was that something that Jeff Johns came up with? Was it something that Francis Manupol came up with? Was it something the colorist came up, or perhaps the inkist? Letterer. <laughs> so anyway, uh, I don't know how they're going to continue to uh, improve issue over issue, but wow. I can't wait to see what issue five does. I don't, you know, yeah. I don't think that excuse holds up, Donna. I think about it. I'm sorry, officer. I didn't mean to kill that person. I was meaning to kill this person. Yeah, I meant to kill that dude. <laughs> I, I don't think that. I don't think that flies in a court of law. I think you know. I, I think that that is the uh, the uh, you know central city defense. You know, I, I killed the wrong dude. Sorry. Oh, okay. Well, if you killed the wrong dude, we can let you off. Well, if that's yeah. how it works, I'm making notes for Thursday. I'm just <laughs> <laughs> I knows what that means. <laughs> but great stuff. And um, if you're not reading The Flash, then you're a loser like Tim and Wayne. Yeah. Even Jonathan reads The Flash. I'm going to use my Paul excuse. I'm going to buy it and trade. <laughs> <laughs> so let me tell you the best Superman title I'm reading now that doesn't even have Superman in it is Action Comics. Uh, 891 came out this week. Uh, this is the title that features Lex Luthor as the uh, as the, the the main character in the book. Absolutely love this book. And a bug. Yeah, and a bug. Yes. There I wouldn't know because I didn't get it because I'm I'm lame. You are lame. 
But this was my I don't think you're lame. Really? Yeah, loved this book. I hated this book. This book was. I mean, it is. It is uh, surprising to me that with you know the bad guy as the main character, um, and somebody who is as you know much of an ass as Lex Luthor, um, that I would enjoy it. That a book focused on him so much, but damn, I loved this book. It was stupid. I just I thought it was stupid, and how Mastermind is that the name of the caterpillar? Mister 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 Mind. I'm sorry, Bugzilla uh, kept talking. Yeah, Bugzilla kept talking to the audience. He wasn't talking to the audience though. He was talking to the guy that hired him. Oh, I, I kind of took it almost as an like talking to us, but I don't know. Maybe that works better. I don't know. I just I, I thought it was kind of dumb, honestly. And, and I don't like issues where the full issue is within someone's mind. Mm-hmm. Like, hey, we're going to see a couple of different stories, but they only take place in your mind. <laughs> I, 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 you know, I, I just, I didn't necessarily care for it. And maybe, you know, maybe it's just that piece of it because I, you know, when he's sitting with Lois at the end and he's like, hey, you know, I'm going to take you with me, even though Superman doesn't take his Lois along where he goes. Um, you know, I, I liked that part, but the the majority of the book, you know. 80% of the book I just didn't care for. Well, and, and, and um, normally I, I'm right there with you. I don't care for the you know story that all takes place in your mind or your dreams or something. But this one I rather liked because it was Lex Luthor rather quickly realizing what was going on and demonstrating what a badass he can be. You know, that he is, you know, he really is almost the perfect human. You know, he doesn't have super abilities. He is he is just at the top of his game as a human goes. And I, I just I, I dug it that, you know, he wasn't gonna let this thing get over on him. I loved the the, you know, sequence where he's stealing fire from the gods. I I dug it. I thought it was a great book. You know, I, oh. I let Jonathan talk me into New Mutants fifteen because mm-hmm. of what we talked about last week. And yeah. I was not impressed, so I'm really on the fence now about this comic book, about Action Comics. So I guess we'll have to see if I have the extra, you know, three bucks, four bucks. This is a three ninety nine book, and absolutely worth it. Mostly. Yeah, and the only reason I didn't get it this week is that last time it was out, my shops were both sold out, Mm -hmm. and I didn't manage to get that first issue of it. So I'm planning on buying this in trade unless we start hearing a lot of bad reviews. You know, and personally, when one of you says, I love the book, and the other says, I hate it, I just kind of lean back and think, man, I wish I had some popcorn right now. This is about to get good. <laughs> well, we'll, see if that, we'll see if that holds true because you call, you're call you calling us losers. Let me tell you what winners buy. Winners buy Wonder Woman 601 like me and Wayne did. <laughs> winners by wonder woman that's right <laughs> there's just something that sounds so wrong about that uh, you know what book of the week right here i don't even care I yeah everyone was, everyone was freaking out about the new costume and all i really like the storyline i like the costume for what it is i mean this whole thing is temporary she's going to go back to being who she was what she was this is just one storyline that's changed reality so it's kind of like reading in Elseworlds, and because I'm not a normal Wonder Woman fan, I have no connection to the regular Wonder Woman storyline. So it's even more like in Elseworlds for me. Yeah, I'm digging the book. Yeah, very, very much. So there's a lot of cool scenes in here, specifically when you see the uh, Wonder Woman's mother Hippolydia die. That was an awesome scene. 
and I, I was really digging it. Yeah, and like, the guy wrapping the lasso around his arm and having it sizzle. Yeah, that guy. I don't know who that guy is, but they're setting him up to be a major league badass, and it was it was very very cool. Yeah, and I and I like Diana finally taking the reins of her destiny and trying to go out and save the Amazons from whatever this dude's corporation is. Yeah, and I've been trying to figure figure out exactly where her power level is here because she doesn't have all of her powers, but she does have enough powers to jump from a plane and land and be just fine put, pulling off the, you know, this picture-perfect landing where she's in a pose when she gets there. So she at least has some of her invulnerability and has quite a bit of her strength, but not everything. Yeah, she doesn't have her lasso. She can't fly yet. Yeah, very much so. But I, I love I like the art in this book. I and I love I love the story. Like I said, it's book of the week, and I didn't expect to say that. I'm definitely on board for next issue. Yeah, I'm on board for this whole storyline. I don't know if I'll stick around when they fix the world back to the way it was, but if Straczynski's still writing it after that, I'll I'll keep giving it a try because I'm really surprisingly enjoying this book. Well, I'm surprised too, but. I mean, I, I don't know. I, I, if you guys like issue 602, then maybe I'll pick it up. Both of them, I mean. Not just 602. <laughs> <laughs> so, moving into the House of Marvel, you and Aaron are the only ones reading Ultimate Comics Mystery. In the world. In the <laughs> world. <laughs> I hope that's not the case, because then I don't see the uh, the bitty completing. <laughs> Uh, this one picks up after uh, the completion of Ultimate Enemy, in which alien bad guy beat down on everybody, uh, supposedly killed Reed Richards and his family. Uh, not, you know, in, in the Ultimate Universe, uh, he and Sue aren't married, so it was him, his mom and dad, siblings, etc. And the big thing that happened at the end of Ultimate Enemy was that Ben Grimm, the Thing all of a sudden stopped being rocky and was all glowy and whatnot. So this story picks up after that. Wayne, what'd you think? I really enjoyed this. And I've already said before, I like their Spider-Woman, the the clone of Peter Parker and mm-hmm. the uh, their interactions in this book. Their conversations were great. They were creepy. They were funny. Just I love the character play. I love the concept that the rock form was just a cocoon so Ben Grimm could finish forming his real powers. Yeah, I thought I thought that was brilliant, actually. I was like, wow, that is such a great idea. Yeah, I love how they've changed the Fantastic Four in the Ultimate Universe. Mm-hmm. I still don't believe for a second Reed Richards is dead. I don't That's either. That's just not enough to kill him. And, you know, um, the thing that they've made a big point of since Ultimatum is that dead is dead in the Ultimate Universe. That, you know, Wolverine died on panel. He'll be dead in the Ultimate Universe. And that, uh, you know, in fact, I just listened to an interview with Bendis, and he just went on and on about how dead is dead in the Ultimate Universe. But we didn't see Reed killed on panel. And so that's why I'm not buying that he's dead. And no one's produced a body. You know, so I, I and they keep him on that front page summary. (laughs) <laughs> so I, I I do suspect that that Reed's going to show up. I don't think that he's actually dead. But so Aaron, you you didn't, weren't reading Ultimate Spider-Man at the end there. Well, before I dropped it. So did you re- know that Rick had these powers? No. They revealed that in Ultimate Spider-Man. Basically, in the in one of the earlier storylines of one of the miniseries, we saw the Watchers, mm-hmm. which were those uh, those pole things. 
they right. called out to Rick and they've given him these extreme level of power. And he just wakes up one day, basically explodes and then goes into a coma. Mm-hmm. And then he wakes up again and he has he has access to this power, but he's at their beck and call basically. I hate when that happens. <laughs> Happen a lot to you, Tim? Enough to be annoying. <laughs> yeah, I have to say, I really enjoyed the book. I don't care about the Captain Marvel Rick fight that we're probably going to see next issue. Yeah, I'm loving all the character moments. I'm loving the conversations between Spider Man and Spider Woman. I'm loving the Fantastic Four conversations. The uh, just how the characters are dealing with everything in the book. You know, hopefully, I'll enjoy the fight next next issue, but. That's not what I'm buying the next issue for. I'm buying the next issue for more of this character development. Well, the I think my favorite part of this book, and there are a lot of really great things in this issue, but I think my favorite part of this book is the big double-page spread with Spider-Woman and, and uh, Spider-Man just talking between themselves. You know, They're swinging through the city. And, I mean, the dialogue between the two of them is hysterical. I, you know, and him talking about her lady parts, uh, I just, I, it was cracking me up. And yeah, I, I, I love that conversation about it. And you're thinking that, you know, am I gay because this person's a female version of me now? Yeah, and, and she has lady parts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I thought that was hysterical. And you know, uh, Captain Marvel, you know, showing up at Project Pegasus and, you know, trying to be charming, and you know, it turns out that he's based his personality off of TV sitcoms. <laughs> yep. that, and I, I love Spider-Man jumping to the initial reaction that she made the aliens attack, that yeah. his clone did it. Yeah. Well, because, you know, you're getting the lady parts will turn you evil. That's why. So, yeah, I, I was, it was very, very good book. You know, this was the first book I read this week. I was so excited about Ultimate Mystery. And I know that that just, you know, strikes Paul as, as strange and alien because he dislikes the Ultimate Universe so much. But, uh, you know, Paul only dislikes the Ultimate Universe so much because he has no room for love or good things in his heart. Or because he read some Ultimate books at the end there. That could do it. <laughs> that could be the case as well. Yeah, I, I think Ultimatum. Yeah, just reading Ultimate or Ultimates 3. Yeah, mm. that's enough to do it. Ultimates 3 was pretty awful. I haven't so read Ultimatum. I like these miniseries because it gives me Ultimate Spider-Man, which is a character I really like. Yeah. But that in his own book is being written really badly. Dug it is wonderful. Highly recommended. So uh, also a book that I highly recommend, and I, I just can't wait to hear what Wayne has to say about it, is Fantastic Four number 581. I was surprised by this book. I was expecting basically the storyline that we've been reading to continue. Mm-hmm. And this took us in a completely different direction. The art in this book, as it has been, has been really beautiful. I love how he's drawing female characters. Mm-hmm. Like seeing the adult Valerie here, seeing uh, the invisible woman attacking her own future daughter. Those are beautiful panels. I mean, I don't know what he's using for his inspiration to draw this, but really enjoying the art. Yeah. For the story, there's so much going on that I'm, I'm still trying to put all the pieces together for this story. I mean, it's a it's going to be a time travel story or an alternate reality story is a better way to put it. Yeah, I enjoyed it. I love the art. The story is still a lot to put together, and I'm not sure how it ties in with anything we've seen over the last you know couple months. I thought everything was building up to something, but they've just kind of dropped the Four City storyline at the moment. So I'm not sure where it's going. And I think I'm still enjoying it, but I'm 
I don't I, know where it's going. I think this is only a two-part story, so I'm sure we're going to be back to the Four Cities, you know, in no time at all. But are you reading Shield? No, I'm not. Okay, the the, the panel where uh, Nathaniel's talking about how he was originally thrown back in time, that panel, um, you know, where he was thrown forward, I guess, in time with all the other possible Nathaniel Richards, um, that's from Shield, like issue two, I think. So Hickman's tying one story into the other. I like that. I always like things like that, yeah. except I'm not reading the other book, so it doesn't really impact <laughs> me here. But if I was reading the other book, I'd be geeking out You'd on be it. be all over that. Yeah, this book This book hit it on all cylinders, I thought. I thoroughly enjoyed the book. So there you go. Paul, you're lame for not reading Fantastic Four. Lame. Yeah, but you know what I am? You know what else makes me lame? Secret Avengers? <laughs> Secret Avengers. Holy shit. Yeah. I was hoping you guys would say that because if you remember issue two, I didn't like. Issue one, I enjoyed. Issue two, I didn't like. Yeah. So issue three, I decided, okay, I'm done with this book. And I was afraid we'd be coming on and you'd all be singing the praises of how it improved from issue two and how wonderful it was. And I'd feel bad about not buying it and have to rush out and get it. So come on, give me a bad review. God, it was awful. <laughs> yeah. The last issue of the series for me. I'm done with it after this. I, you know, it's got one more issue in this storyline, and I think I am going to pick it up just so that, you know, I, I will have given it its full chance. But, uh, yeah, I think I'm done with Secret Avengers after that. Uh, I, this It was just awful. I, I, I have nothing good to say about this entire book. Well, you know, I just I, – Oh, I wait a minute. I, I do really have something. It. I do have something nice to say. I apologize. I did actually like the Old West flashback. Okay. You know, where, uh, uh, you know, Thorn Drake or whatever the hell his name is, is, uh, you know, we, we find out a little bit about him, and apparently he's a long lived guy. But uh, that was it. That was, that was the only thing I enjoyed about the book. Oh, that now, was weak sauce, too. Because I'm like, what in the <laughs> hell is going on in Secret Avengers? It just turned into Hex. What, what the <laughs> hell is going on? And I don't. I didn't piece it together until the second read through. Like yeah. I had no idea why that was in there the first read. I'm like, I don't get it. And then I'm like, oh, he's that guy. Okay, now I still don't care. <laughs> you know, I, <laughs> um, I really, really like this team. I've I've liked this team since they said they were gonna they were gonna put this team together. But this story, yeah. Ugh. It, when you know what, and the other thing is, you're not doing your team any justice when. Your contributions from Moon Knight and Black Widow, they could have replaced those two people with sacks of grain. Yeah. Yeah, oh, let's just throw them on the ground here. Well, which would have been more valuable on Mars because maybe, you know, they would take root and grow. (laughs) (laughs) You know, know, one of the things I just thought was was completely ridiculous in the book is, you know, Nova, under the control of the Serpent Crown, decides to give Mars an atmosphere. You know, because his his henchmen had cracked their uh, their suits, and you know we're, we're going to suffocate. But you know he gave them he gave them air to breathe by creating an atmosphere. So you know the Avengers, or I'm sorry, pst, the Secret Avengers, um, they they say, hey, there's an atmosphere, so they all take off their helmets. That seems a little foolish to me, given the fact that if you can probably create an atmosphere, you could probably uncreate an atmosphere. Which would be what It'll I would happen do. in the next issue. Yeah, I mean that would be the thing I would do. And you know, I'm sorry, Captain America ought to know better than that. I'm sorry, Steve Rogers ought to know better than that. But yeah, this book sucked. 
Yeah, I, uh, I, I'm not on board for that fourth issue. I know there's only one more issue in the storyline. I don't care. You yeah. know, it started off strong, and you know, I don't think any of us were super excited about issue two. In fact, I think we all had qualms with it, and this issue just was worse. So, you know, kind of taking the trend, I, I don't imagine that issue four will magically buck the trend and be better than issue one or as good as issue one. I well, think it's just going to get even worse. Well, let me bitch about something else. We didn't get any Sharon in this book. Yeah. You know, and that was one of the things that we all enjoyed about the previous issues is that, you know, we enjoyed how Sharon was being used. She's not anywhere in this book. Well, let's not just talk. I mean, not just Sharon. This team, which had so much promise could you know you know you said uh moon knight and uh black widow could be replaced with grains of or you know sacks of shit or whatever um (laughs) the entire team what none of the skills of this team have been utilized none of their unique skills have been utilized since since bringing them into the team right you know they, they they're all interchangeable with just anybody really um, you know, they're not written like I wanted them to be written, you know, and I, I, I don't know. And which is kind of sad because um, Vengeance of the Moon Knight number 10 was my favorite issue of Secret Adventures yet, um, yeah. you know. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, the, you know, this issue was crap. It really yeah. was. It, it was bad enough for me to drop it and not care about the end of a storyline. Now, you know, one thing that I look forward to every month is to hear Tim talk about Thor. And Thor 612 came out this week. And, uh, you know, Thor has gone straight to flaming hell. So, uh, Tim? Has anybody ever known a god of war that was a bigger puss than Tyr? (laughs) Seriously? (laughs) That guy is a whiny, emo, one-handed bastard. Oh, I don't know if I can lead the army. Maybe I should go do this (laughs) other thing. Thor's like, no, you should do that. Well, if I did the other thing, I'd probably fail at that, too. <laughs> He's like freaking Eeyore. <laughs> oh, mother. <laughs> what, what a pianus. And, you know, I, 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 I love I like the writing in this book. This cre- it's, it's very, very creepy. Like the Mephisto, like, you know, hitting on the Wraith things happened again. And I thought that was that was cool. It was very, very creepy. <laughs> I like the book. I'm going to be glad when they finally get through this this hell angle because, like I said before, I don't understand why Thor's fighting for souls that weren't worthy enough to go to Valhalla. But, you know, whatever. It's a reason to get them down to hell. But I'm going to be glad when it's over. Because you're tired of the hell story? I'm kind of tired of the hell story. You know, I, I, this may be one of my favorite depictions of Mephisto. Um, you know, we see him... Uh, in his in his throne room, his courtroom, I think is what they call it, and uh, uh, he's just kind of lounged back and he's he's eating something, he's got chopsticks, and so you know you're thinking, oh well, you know he's he's kind of uptown, you know he's got some nice Chinese takeout, and the way the page is colored, you really don't tune in to what it is he's eating, <laughs> but there is a guy, a uh, big old fat guy, you know, eviscerated next to him that you really don't notice at at, at first glance. And Mephisto is, you know, plucking items, you know, out of the guy, putting them in the bowl. <laughs> and just, you know, eating on the dude. I just, you know, I, I think it's funny. I didn't even notice that on my first read. I just yeah. looked at it and now I get it. And and that's the intent of the page is you're not supposed to catch it at first blush. But I mean, it is nasty. And it, it disturbs me that uh, 
that Mephisto really has cut a vagina into the guy's side. So I don't I don't know what Mephisto <laughs> is doing there, but uh, you know, dude. <laughs> Do you really not know, Aaron? <laughs> no, I I guess I know. Dude's a kinky bastard. <laughs> yeah, he is. Yeah, he is. I'm gonna fuck this fat bastard right in the side. <laughs> 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 Show title. Uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll get right all work for that one. <laughs> uh, yeah, I you know I'm digging Thor. Uh, you know I understand that this whole story arc wasn't planned because they had to give uh, Matt Fraction and his his team time to get their stuff together. But what a nice diversion! You know it is. Uh, it, it's it's very entertaining as as the filler story that it is. Uh, I'm digging it. I'm having a good time with it. I'm just waiting for you guys to say it's done so I can come back to the book for Fractions run. Well, uh, the next issue is the last issue of the Kieran, of the uh, Kieran Gillum run. So Fractions starts with 614. Um, we'll see. Uh, I mean, I, I, I have enjoyed Kieran Gillum's run. I do feel, out of his entire run, I actually feel these are weaker than some of the stuff that he started with. Um... But I mean, I think I think it's good. I just I'm like Tim. I'm ready for this storyline to end. I wonder. I wonder if his muse for tear is Matt Fraction. <laughs> well, I'm not ready to draw the book. Maybe you should draw the book. I'd fail at drawing the book. <laughs> oh bother! Oh bother! <laughs> well, but that wasn't the only Thor book out this week. No. Aaron is reading Thor the Mighty Avenger. All by my lonesome. I don't have a Thor the Mighty Avenger, buddy. But I tell you what, this book is awesome. I I, I, I love this book. Uh, I was excited that issue two came out so quickly after issue one. Um, Chris Somney's artwork is wonderful. And he just he he owns Thor as a completely separate character from what's going on in the main Marvel title. Uh, this again, this is a, a separate continuity. You know, you you can't really make any assumptions. I have always hated Jane Foster in the regular Thor title, and I love her over here. She is a strong character with a sense of humor, and, and that's really kind of the thing that that I think is missing from the main Marvel book is a sense of humor. Uh, particularly in Thor, and there's a sense of humor in this book. I, I, it is fantastic. If you are not picking it up, you've got to go grab it. Um, it is uh, $2.99. It is uh, all original content all the way through, and you don't have to buy any other Marvel books. If this is the only Marvel book you were reading, you would be a happy, happy person. Thoroughly enjoyed it. Go get it. What are you waiting on? <laughs> Stop sitting around. Go get it. Go, go. Are they back yet? They're back. <laughs> All right. And they never left. Oh, they left. <laughs> you know, well, Thor may be in hell, but the X-Men are entering the heroic age of the Marvel Universe. The first post-second coming uh, X-Men titles came out this week. Uncanny X-Men 526 and uh, X-Men Legacy 238. And you may be shocked because Jonathan's not on the episode today. But we're actually going to talk about the frickin' X-Men books, um, because even though I said I wouldn't, I picked up Uncanny X-Men uh, 526, written by Mac Fraction, with art by Wills Portacio, and so did Wayne. So, Wayne, what did you think? Well, I was excited about, I guess it was the one shot that gave us the preview of Uncanny X-Men, 
And I like the idea that she was going to be on this big quest to find her family. And I thought it was going to be the next big storyline. And that basically her saying, screw you to Cyclops, that she wasn't going to go hunt down all these people who are turning into mutants now. I thought that was going to continue. I enjoyed the book quite a bit. I enjoyed the backup story even more than the main story. But I was disappointed they dealt with Hope finding her family and all of that all in one issue, all in part of an issue because they had a backup story. And yeah. that now she's on the trail of those mutants. It's like, we, yeah. we built this up to be a big thing. Now here's a couple pages of it. Move on. Yeah, the, uh, the name of the storyline is The Five Lights, and um, it's a reference to the five sparks on Cerebro that happened at the end of Second Coming, uh, the five new mutants who are just beginning to learn their powers. And it seems like what's going to happen is this is Hope and the rest of the X-Men going to these new mutants and, you know, kind of, I don't know, I, I guess, you know, helping them come to grips with their new found uh, mutant powers. And uh, also in the book is a prequel story um, written by Alan Heinberg with art by Olivier Copiel um, to the new Avengers, the Children's Crusades miniseries. I now, really enjoyed the prequel. That was my favorite part of the whole book. I, I did too. But I, you know, unlike you, I really did not enjoy the uh, the main feature. The, the you know the, the Matt Fraction Wills Portacio main feature. I thought the art was crap. Um, you know, there were people who were supposed to be sad or angry, and they looked like they were smiling, or people who were yelling that were missing bottom jaws. I just didn't care for the art direction or the the artist's portrayal of the book uh, of the characters, and the story just didn't tickle my fancy either. You know, I gave it a chance, even though I said I wasn't going to after Second Coming because I didn't want to have to buy all these X Men books, and so I gave this I gave this one a chance, um, even though typically I prefer X Men Legacy, but I liked the idea of the the new mutants and hope. I thought that would all be addressed in here. And it is. I just didn't find it interesting. Yeah. I was really disappointed. I wanted this, the storyline of her hunting for her family and her character development to be the first story. I didn't want her to be involved with the five lights right away. And I was disappointed that, that they just wrapped all that up in one issue. And they had Cyclops already know about her family, but send her up there anyway. The, uh, I would probably be really complaining about the book if it wasn't for that follow up that backup piece where we see Magneto recovering, Magneto doing building and construction, and figure out why he showed up over in the, you know, over in the, uh, what was it? The Children's Crusade. The Children's Crusade title. Because he seemed really out of place in there. And we even mentioned at the time, well, how's he here when he's over in X-Men? Well, now we know why he's there. We know, you know, what made him decide to go hunt them down. But the problem is, and as much as I enjoyed that, the problem is they're trying to make this connection and continuity, right? But Iron Man and Captain America, the way they're portrayed in Avengers The Children's Crusade, are not the current Iron Man and Captain America costumes, or even people. So, I mean, you have this really kind of bad continuity flaw (laughs) by trying to fit it into continuity. Okay, it takes place after Second Coming. But Iron Man's in his old costume, and Captain America's still Steve Rogers. Uh, got a little bit of a paradox there. So, you know, I, I, while I appreciate it, and I think it was well written, I think the intentions may not have. I think you know the intentions may have been lost because of whatever the it, other work. Yeah, yeah. 
But um, I'm on the fence about Uncanny X-Men. I'll pick up the next issue and flip through it and decide from there. I want to see what's going to happen with Kitty Pride. I want more character moments in this book, but I was like I, said, I was disappointed by it. So I don't know if I'm on board to keep buying Uncanny. I'll just have yeah, to well, wait. How was, and through. how was X-Men Legacy 238? X-Men Legacy had a lot of good character development. There are great conversations. There's Magneto's basically going with them on a because he's detecting issues with the magnetic field. And that's the part that bothers me is the actual story itself. There's beings from another reality or something. I think it's tied into one of the older X-Men stories I'd read where there's uh, characters that have super advanced technology because they were tied into a ship where they were just getting time was traveling faster for them in there. I think these are the same characters. But I'm not sure about that because I don't know how that storyline ended up. Mm-hmm. I just don't care about any of those characters. I love the interactions between Magneto and Rogue and the kids. I like Magneto standing up and trying to be a strong character here. But the story that they put this in is just not one that I'm going to enjoy. So I I may pick up the next one if this storyline ends in the next issue. I don't know how many issues it's supposed to be. But, yeah, I'm on the fence. I want to buy X-Books. I want to enjoy X-Books. I'm loving the character moments in both of these X-Books. But Mm -hmm. the stories are not grabbing me. Hmm. They had a lot of momentum on Second Coming, and they've lost it. Yeah, that's, you know, and I don't know if it was because Second Coming was so well-structured, and now that everyone's doing their own thing, it just doesn't work. Um you know, which was what I was afraid of happening, and it seems to be exactly what's happening. Uh, you know, because obviously even the X Men number uh, one, the X Men versus Vampire stuff, doesn't really flow with the rest of the X Men books. But moving into our indie spotlight, Radical Comics released seven new titles this week. Um, now we didn't have time to get through all of them, but we do have a couple of them that we wanted to talk about. Starting off with Driver for the Dead, um, issue one of three. Now, when we uh, spoke about our free comic book day books, we said, uh, I think Wayne and I both expressed a lot of excitement about this storyline. You know, it it involves a a hearse driver who is specialized in supernatural um, kind of uh, stuff, I guess. Uh, You know, when we're introduced to him, he is driving a kid who has been infected with vampirism. And he has to get him to the cemetery before sundown to chop off his head to make sure he doesn't actually turn into a full-blown vampire. In the Driver for the Dead number one that started this this week, um, you know, we, we get those pages from the free comic book day issue. So it's you know th- those pages are reproduced at the beginning, and then we get into the, the storyline. And I have to say, I was super excited about this storyline. The book wasn't as good as I was hoping. Um, it, it the there's a lot of like when the vampire shows up, because the kid does, you know, turn into a vampire. Uh, he's the he's drawn like kind of like a classic vampire, like pale white face, flowy robes. You know, we get a giant snake pop up in the book. You know, a couple of giant monsters pop up, and it just didn't seem to be the way that I thought the book would be done. I expected a little bit more supernatural, you know, kind of like a thriller type horror, you know. I expected a little more subtlety than 
giant vampires and monsters and snakes roaming around. And so when I saw that, it kind of took me out of it a little bit. Um, you know, they, they introduced voodoo and, you know, I, I just, I expected a little less, honestly, a little less flashbang and a little more, you know, character beats and suspense. So it was, it was a little disappointing for me, which was a shame because I was really looking forward to the book. And that's not to say it's bad. It's just not what I expected from reading that free comic book day preview. Why does it always have to be snakes? I know, <laughs> right? Well, you know what? It could be Nazis. Because Time Bomb number one came out this week, which is another title that we talked about with the Free Comic Book Day issue, which is about a a bomb that has been released in modern-day Berlin that basically has a uh, biological virus in it that is going to spread across the globe and kill everyone within 48 hours. And so scientists send a crew back in time uh, with the intention of sending them back 24 hours in time to stop the bomb from going off and, you know, basically save the day. Except that instead of sending them 24 hours back in time, they accidentally send them back to World War II. Now, Wayne, you you read this, right? Yeah, this book had an interesting feel. Reading it, it felt like I was watching the pilot of a TV show. Like they were, it seemed like a concept idea more than a a full story. Like this would be, I could see not a sitcom, but an action show or maybe a sci-fi movie, sci-fi channel movie. One of the low budget ones is kind of what I got out of it. I enjoyed it. I liked the story. I'm curious what they're going to do with the time travel. I like the fact that they go over all the time travel rules and then they decide, screw them, we're going to kill some Nazis. Yeah, that's my favorite part of it because, you know, usually when you get these time travel stories, it's like, go back in time, but don't change anything. Well, the world's going to end in 48 hours. Unless it's a top time machine. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Uh, But, you know, basically they say, well, you know, if we don't change anything, the world's going to blow up in 48 – or the world's going to die in 48 hours anyway. So, fuck it. Let's start killing some Nazis. Well, yeah. And so well, that know, is what and, Nazis are here for. Exactly. <laughs> so I, I liked that. That was refreshing from you know the usual time travel stuff that we're that we see. Yeah, I am definitely on board for this whole mini. I enjoyed it. Like I said, the feel of it, it had a TV or a movie feel. It doesn't didn't feel like a comic book story to me, which isn't a problem. It's just a I can't really put my finger on how they captured that feel, but it definitely has the feel of a movie or a TV pilot. You know, yeah. I was listening to that, and all I heard was Jack Bauer, 1940s Berlin 24. But you know what? It kind of feels that way. You know, Wayne makes a good point. It, it feels like you're watching a movie or a TV miniseries. You know, it's constantly on the move. Um, it just it, it doesn't feel like your typical comic. And I, I, I thought that was good. I actually... I have to say, this was my book of the week. I really enjoyed it. Um, now, it does have ag- a cover price. I'm sorry. I would Matt. agree. This was my book of the week as well. Yeah. Now, it does have a cover price of $4.99, but I think it's like 54 pages of actual story and art. You know, So it's not just $4.99 and you're getting a reprint of uh, you know, a 1967 Nazi comic book in the back or anything like that. Nazis from 1967. Yeah, that made sense. Um, but you know, it's 4.99 for 54 pages of actual time bomb number one story, 
and uh, I I enjoyed it. I really enjoyed it, and I highly recommend it. You know, and I have less issues with the four ninety nine, knowing this is a miniseries. I'm willing to pay four ninety nine an issue for a three issue miniseries when it would bother me if I was going to do this month after month after month. Yeah. So I'm willing to pay a little more for a mini. Well, Halloween, well, not- you're willing to pay four ninety nine for Sea Bear and Grizzly Shark, so that's not saying too much. That was a one shot, <laughs> and that was really good. Not, not only that, Radical produces their comics kind of like the old Prestige format books from the uh, the 90s. So, you know, you get like a nice hardcover and, you know, good um, paper stock. So, I mean, it's not just like Batman number 700 or Superman number 700 where it's just a, a regular comic that's a little bit extra sized. You're, you're getting your bang for your buck. Yeah, I'm really enjoying the stuff Radical is doing. I just wish I would have had more time to finish all of my Radical books because, like you said, seven books in one week, and I'm interested in all of them. And they had a lot of their – I don't even know what they call them, but they're, they're Radical premiere books. There were a yeah. lot of those $1 books out this week too that I picked up. So there's just so much to read. Yeah, I mean oh, – I'm sorry. I, I wonder in, in terms of a uh, – marketing scheme how successful that can be because you know this was an awfully crowded week on the bookshelf there were a lot of new books this was an expensive week and to release seven books in the same period i mean wouldn't you be better off doing like you know two a week for the month you know or is the idea to just is the dom is the idea to just dominate the new bookshelf I think that's the idea because they're not a big name yet. They want to see all their books out there. And if you look at the the price points on those, there were a lot of the $1 books. Yeah. So that may have been part of it too. See, but I I, I would prefer them to – and I don't know if it's saving on shipping costs or printing costs, and that's why they release it all in one week. But, I mean, they don't have a new comic every week. You know, sometimes they go a full month without a new release. Um, You know, so – Releasing seven books in on one Wednesday seemed a little ill-advised, you know, especially when you know about half of them were a buck a piece, but the other half were four ninety-nine a piece. Yeah. So you know, it's like you know, split it up. There's there's a couple of weeks in a month, you know, release a couple books this week, a couple books next week. You know, I don't know if they were try- if they were thinking, you know what, we're going to make some big announcements at San Diego Comic Con and we're going to try to get people in while we're while the name is fresh. But you know, it, I, I don't know if that how well it worked for them. Yeah, I see the reasons why they might have done it. I just don't agree with their reasons. Well, it just seems like a crapshoot. I mean, I, I can see it on both sides of the fence. On the one hand, you know, as a consumer, I would rather they kind of water dripped it to me so that I'm getting, you know, a choice of two or three of their books each week in addition to every other damn thing I'm buying. But I see how, you know, let's make a splash, let's make an impact, let's have a whole row, you know, on the, the new bookshelf. The question that, that that I ask though is, you know, if you, if here you are a new company or a newish company, you're releasing, you know, seven brand new books on the same day. Does the comic book retailer take the chance and buy your books? One of my shops did, and they only picked yeah. up a couple of them. And you know, it's hurting them for press too. Think about it. We we are enjoying what Radical is doing. We're talking about it a lot. And how many of their books are we talking about? Only a couple. Yeah. Because we couldn't get to them all. There were too many to read. Yeah, it's a shame. But, you know, we'll we'll talk about the other books next week, um, you know, because by then we'll hopefully have time to read, you know, had time to read them. Now, did you guys watch uh, uh, Batman Under the Red Hood this week? I oh, did. Yes. And it actually came out this past Tuesday, if you're listening to this episode. So it's out now on DVD and Blu-ray. Yep. What'd you guys think? 
that was the most credible, incredible comic book animation show thing I have ever seen. <laughs> I was completely blown away to the point of almost being speechless and rambling incoherently now about how awesome that was. I had geek wood from that. I, I, I'm right there with you, Wayne. I, I was stunned. You know, one of the things that I hate about American animation is that it always looks so cookie cutter. You know, it just looks mass produced, doesn't really have any art to it. This blew me away on the animation. I was stunned at how high quality the art direction was and the sound direction and the soundtrack. I mean, I'm buying the soundtrack today. Everything about this movie worked for me. I was thoroughly entertained. You know, and I even thought I would dislike the voices because they had someone new doing Joker's voice, and it was very different than any yes. Joker voice we ever heard. Yeah. And it when we first see him, it starts to bother me until he laughs. And the laugh is so dead on that that's, that's all it took. I was in for that Joker, too. That is my only complaint about the movie, is, and it's my complaint about everything I see the Joker in uh, on the animated uh, films, is that why would you ever cast anybody other than Mark Hamill for that role? I mean, Mark Hamill still has the voice. You know, he's certainly not any good on film, but, uh, you know, because you know, dude's a train wreck. But his voice acting is top notch. I don't understand the, the change on that. And I don't understand why he wouldn't have Kevin Conroy, Conroy voice Batman. Yeah. Though I have to say, Bruce Greenwood did do an admirable job. Oh, I, I, I'm, I'm not complaining about that. And I, actually, and I actually agree with Wayne that the fella doing uh, the, the Joker voice actually did a fine job. I just prefer Kevin Conroy and Mark Hamill for those voices. Yeah, and it bothered me at first, but I got over it pretty quickly. Uh, I was going to say, the only complaint I had was no Tim Drake. And yeah. I, I know why they did it, but it would have been nice to see him. I know, the reason they did it, because then it would have been too many dicks on the dance floor, yeah. to be honest. Well, but. you know, I thought about that at first, too, because it, it bothered me. But then I was remembering back to that storyline, and I don't remember Tim actually in that, that storyline. I mean, I know he was around, but I don't remember him actually playing a part in it at all. And it didn't bother me as much not having him in the movie because I couldn't remember him doing anything in the comic. Yeah, that's a good point. I don't think he was. I mean, I don't think Nightwing was either. But Nightwing, I mean, was Nightwing there makes the, sense for this film. Nightwing was definitely there for the Amazo fight in the comic. Well, I oh, have okay. to say I was I was very pleased that they didn't shy away from the violence in the film. Uh, you know, that you did have a sense that, you know, uh, Jason Todd was was very nearly beaten to death before he was blown up. You know, I, I mean, you, the and, and something else that I loved about the, the movie is and a lot of times in American animation, you don't get a sense of the impact and the weight of uh, of some of the you know crushing blows of a superhuman. And, you know, the Amazon uh, fight was terrific. You did have a sense that oh oh wow this is this is a big bad guy and you know he the the punches that he's throwing you know could take your head off. I I thought this thing was done so very well. Yeah, and they didn't have to have Superboy Prime punching on the walls of reality for a believable way for Jason Todd to return. Yeah, this was a better solution to that, I thought. Yeah, much better. I like how it tied in with what we're seeing you know, in the uh, the Red Hood comic book right now, yeah, with the, the Lazarus Pit being involved and all that too. Yeah, I had a little Jonathan moment when Red Hood finally like lures Batman in to help him fight like Black Skull's like you know elites, uh-huh. 
And he kind of cocks off to him. He's like, it's about time you showed up. And Bam's like, shut up and fight. I'm like, oh, yeah. That was great. <laughs> <laughs> now, I, I got a question. I mean, because I, I think all of us knew who the Red Hood is going in. But watching it, and I was trying to put my, myself in the place of somebody who's not familiar with the story. You know, there was a big reveal in the book that the Red Hood was Jason Todd. It seemed pretty clear to me from the get-go that it would have been easy to figure out from the viewer that, oh, well, yeah, the Red Hood's Jason Todd, you know, just based on how the story was told. Do you agree with that? Do you think that somebody coming in wouldn't have figured that out until deeper into the film? I, I think it was obvious. Yeah. I, I think, yeah. And, you know, I don't think they tried too hard um, to make it a mystery. And maybe, you know, because really – it's not much – I mean, like you said, the way the film's presented, you know, why show the death of that Robin, you know, if it right. wasn't for the fact that, you know, it has to do with the rest of the story. So it seemed a little obvious to me, but I don't think it took away from my enjoyment of the film. No, not at all. You know, I have to say the the scene where they're in the apartment with Joker and Jason Todd's giving him that speech about how, uh, you know, I can't believe you let him live. Mm-hmm. That is some of the most powerful animation I've seen. Absolutely. Ever. I mean, it just, that scene was just so powerful where he's, you know, he has those, the facial expressions of pain as he's screaming at him. You know, I can't believe you didn't kill him. Well, you know, it was, it was that, that line that he said, I can't believe you didn't kill him just for the fact that he took me away from you. You know, and I was like, oh, yeah, uh, that was, some, that was you're, you're absolutely right. That was excellent writing. Terrific scene. You know, I think that the, the the mystery in the comic books was because of years. We had years right. between that one scene mm-hmm. and the reveal, right. and they could they couldn't have done that in the animated. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Hey, well, but, I, I think Marvel ha- really needs to sit up and take notice because that is how it's done. Yeah, uh, I have been it followed the comics so closely. I mean, yeah, there were there were changes, but it followed it close enough that. All of the really important, big, impactful moments are there, yeah. including the, you know, Jason Todd getting beaten by a crowbar and then later on getting to beat Joker in return with that crowbar. Yeah. Yeah, I, I my complaint with Marvel has been that their uh, art direction has not been uh, very strong. You know, it, it, all their their uh, uh, directed DVD movies look a lot like Saturday morning cartoons to me. Um, DC is progressively getting better and better and better at this. And up till now, I had been saying that Green Lantern First Flight was uh, the best animation I've seen from DC. Well, I I think that Under the Red Hood is the best American animation I've seen. Yeah, I I, I agree. I think it's damn good. Yeah. And um, if you buy it on DVD or Blu-ray, you do get a, an exclusive animated short of uh, Jonah Hex featuring the voices of Tom Jane and Linda Hamilton, which is actually pretty sweet, too. Huh. So, you know, definitely go out and pick it up. Outstanding. Well, guys, we come to the end of another week of Funny Books with Aaron and Polly and their amazing friends. And not once did we explain where Jonathan is today. Nor shall we. Y'all have a good week. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Bye. Podcast theme music graciously provided by Mark Andrew Pope. For more information, visit markandrewpope.com. Funny Books with Aaron and Polly is a production of ideologyofmadness.com. No Spider-Man clones were harmed in the production of this podcast.